Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. The first one a little bit complicated in how we squeeze it into the good martini. And Jim, it's one of those that the truth is coming out. What we're learning from that truth is unsettling to say the least. But uh, after, what are we, about six years into this uh, uh, Russia collusion uh, narrative now, uh, it's unraveling thanks to uh, John Durham. And uh, the latest big bombshell coming to us from an unlikely source. Uh, So right now, this guy, Michael Sussman, uh, is on trial for uh, making false statements and so forth um, as a result of trying to shop the Russia uh, collusion narrative to the FBI and then lying about it, of course. As part of this trial, Robbie Mook, the former campaign manager for Hillary Clinton, testifying on Friday, and this is the CBS uh, news version of the story, he testified on Friday that the 2016 Democratic presidential nominee agreed to provide information about a link between her opponent and Donald Trump and Russian Alpha Bank to a reporter, despite the fact that her campaign was not certain about the truth of the allegations. During cross-examination, Mook said the campaign was not fully confident in the Alpha Bank allegations and wanted to give them to a reporter so the reporter could, quote-unquote, run it down further and verify it. (laughs) I'm not sure that's how that works. Uh, Slate first published the story, suggesting Alpha Bank had a server that was irregularly pinging a server registered to the New York-based Trump organization. And so uh, what we've known all along, Jim, or at least for a long time now, is that the Clinton campaign was helping to bankroll the the Steele dossier, and then other people were kind of shopping it to Michael Isikoff and Yahoo. And now we, it, it turns out, through Hillary Clinton's own campaign manager, that she actually signed off on getting this out to the media, even though they had no idea if it was true. Greg, this is one of those topics where I'm looking at a suitcase, <laughs> and there's a lot to unpack. But I know apparently I use that phrase too often. But uh, one of the things that comes to mind, I remember once or twice in my career, I've had people try to basically, I heard that campaign has mob ties or something like that. So some sort of like, you know, really incendiary accusation. I'll say, wow, that's that's quite an accusation. You got any proof? Like, no, but I, I think you you can find it. Well, really, can I? Where should I start looking? Eh, just just look around. You know, this idea, you know, in other words, that you're as a journalist, your job is not to be the repeater of rumors. Your job is not to pass along unverified information. Your job is to do the best job you can to verify that information. Um, And they shared it with Slate, which did not do any efforts, it appears, to verify that information. Um, The Wall Street Journal had a really good, uh, editorial board had a really good one on this. It's a very succinct title. Hillary Clinton did it. Uh, This ran on May 20th, but it's still relevant here. And I think one of the things that kind of just jumps out here is this observation, you know, Mook is admitting under oath the campaign did not have the expertise to vet this data, but it was, you know, a decision was made by him, by policy advisor <clears throat> Jake Sullivan. If you recognize <laughs> that name, he is the national security advisor. Uh, communications director Jennifer Palmieri and chair, campaign chairman John Podesta to give it to the reporter. Oh, by the way, Hillary Clinton was, you know, brought into it, asked about it, and approved it. So in the end, um, did this all originate from Hillary Clinton? No, but she knew what was going on, signed off on it. And this has, as you know, as the, the editorial board puts it, her fingerprints on it. Two names kind of come out of my thoughts on this. The first, Greg, is that 
So wasn't Robert Mueller supposed to get to the bottom of all this? <laughs> Allegedly, yes. Like a year and a half, nearly two years, and, and you know, the whole time we're hearing, well, he's he's gonna he's gonna hunt down Trump, and oh, he's you know, it's, the walls are closing in, and Robert De Niro is doing cameos on SNL, portraying Robert Mueller as the ultimate guy who always gets his man and all that stuff. Well, obviously, one he didn't find uh, any smoking gun evidence against Donald Trump, but also like. In light, retrospect, doesn't this make Robert Mueller look kind of gullible over something that clearly was cooked up by a, a campaign to, you know, take down Trump? But, you know, it makes Mueller look quite foolish. And the other thing is, when John Durham did not come out with any explosive bombshell revelations before the 2020 election, a lot of people on the Trump side or Republicans groaned that Durham was dropping the ball. He was, you know, taking forever. Nothing was getting done. What a disappointment. Wine, wine, wine. And yet here we are, and John Durham, who I described in a profile way back in, I want to say, you know, late 2018, early 2019, at some point, you know, he was the, he was Mr. Uh, reliable, that he was, he was a tortoise. He was slow moving, slow and steady wins the race. He never leaves a stone unturned and he will get his man. And lo and behold, look where we are. All of a sudden we know a heck of a lot more because of uh, Durham's prosecutions and cases. I think he was indeed the right guy for this job. And I suspect the story is not yet done, but nonetheless, we now know a heck of a lot more about where the infamous Steele dossier and everything else came from, and the country is better off for it, even though what we are learning is not particularly reassuring and, in fact, is disturbing, frustrating, and in some cases, enraging. Not at all. Jim, I haven't seen wall-to-wall breaking news uh, banners on the cable news channels about this. Any, every time there was a leak about uh, this collusion allegedly happening, it's all we saw all day long, but nobody seems interested in the truth coming out here. Yeah, I, you know, it's just kind of, you know, slow. It's a busy news day. Yeah. <laughs> the double standard is. I mean, admittedly, it staggering. is a busy news cycle, but it always is a busy news cycle. That didn't stop, you know, the every Mueller, you know, sneeze from turning into, you know, uh, you know, 24 hour MSNBC breaking news uh, retrospectives. Exactly. Exactly. Going to pretend it never happened. Wow. All right. On to our first great sponsor of the day. And, uh, in most parts of the country now, hopefully it's fairly warm. It certainly was where we live uh, over the weekend. And spring and summer are the seasons for finally getting outdoors and entertaining, throwing some pool parties, barbecues, whatever. But if your yard doesn't look good, if it looks like a plant cemetery, you're not going to want to have folks over and you're probably not going to enjoy things as much. So get your place looking as good as it can. Get it looking resort quality and do it easily with fast growing trees. When it comes to caring for your plants, know-how matters. That's why FastGrowingTrees.com's experts curate thousands of plant varieties that will thrive in your specific climate, location, and needs. There's no waiting in lines, no messy cars from hauling plants all over town because you order online or over the phone and your plants are shipped to your door in one or two days. Plus, their growing and care advice is available 24-7. Whether you're looking for increased privacy, shade, or adding some natural beauty to your yard, fast-growing trees have the perfect plants and the expertise to help you find them. And as I've said many times, we have a number of uh, plants from fast-growing trees at the Corumbus House. We've got a nice uh, fig tree. We've also got uh, also a monstera plant, and the leaves on that are huge. They're massive and uh, just fun to watch it grow. We also have a uh, a lemon tree that's continuing to grow. My girls have named them all, uh, and because of those names, now they they assume that we have uh, two girls and and one boy. So I don't know if they're being misgendered or not, Jim, but we're going to roll with that. Uh, Plus, with their 30-day 
stay alive and thrive guarantee you can trust everything will be healthy for years to come. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash martini right now and you'll get 15% off your entire order. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash martini. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini. And, you know, just when you thought you had enough crises going on in this country from inflation to energy and beyond, uh, we get this uh, courtesy of KSL.com. Extreme temperatures and ongoing drought could cause the power grid to buckle across vast areas of the country this summer, potentially leading to electricity shortages and blackouts, a U.S. power grid regulator said last week. NERC, that's the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, which is a regulating authority that oversees the health of the nation's electrical infrastructure, says in its 2022 summer reliability assessment that extreme temperatures and ongoing drought could cause the power grid to buckle. High temperatures, the agency warns, will cause the demand for electricity to rise. Meanwhile, drought conditions will lower the amount of power available to meet that demand. Uh, NERC's manager of reliability assessments, Mark Olson, says, quote, Industry prepares its equipment and operators for challenging summer conditions. Persistent extreme drought and its accompanying weather patterns, however, are out of the ordinary and tend to create extra stresses on electricity supply and demand. And so um, there's also, of course, the news that uh, a great number of coal-fired power plants, 80 to be precise, are slated to close across 14 states in the next six years. And obviously, there's no plans to replace those, Jim. And uh, for those who know, we get a lot of our energy from coal-fired power plants. And the renewables just can't keep up. So how big of a pickle are we in here? Um, roughly a pickle. I feel like, like Ghostbusters with the Twinkie metaphor. <laughs> uh, Greg, we're dealing with a pickle roughly the size of the western half of the United States. I, I, one of the things I, I wish they had done better as I've seen coverage, I, t- I mentioned this a little bit in the morning jolt today. Um, if you look at this summer reliability assessment from NERC, um, you, you talked about two categories. One is high risk and one is elevated risk. High is worse than elevated, right? And they talk about the MISO uh, and this is actually regarding to the Midwest Independent System Operator Region. And basically, it's in two chunks. The first chunk is basically go from like, you know, eastern side of North Dakota, all through uh, Minnesota, all through just about all of uh, Iowa, all of Wisconsin. Bad news, all of your home state of, of Michigan. Uh, big chunk of Illinois, although ironically not the part around Chicago. Most of Indiana, a little bit of Kentucky, a little bit of Missouri. And then there's a second chunk, which is right around the Mississippi River, almost all of Arkansas, almost all of Louisiana, a little bit of Texas, and a good chunk of Mississippi. Uh, They're all in the category of high risk, meaning resources are potentially insufficient to find peak load during both extreme conditions and normal conditions, um, which is about as bad a warning as they can get. Now, everything else that is west of the Mississippi River uh pacific northwest southwest texas and for you know because it's you know north america and some parts of our grid extend up into canada bad news for saskatchewan for all of our saskatchewan listeners out there i regret to uh, be the one to inform you that uh, peak demand projections have risen by 7.5 percent but basically almost everything west of the mississippi river is in an elevated risk um in which the resources will probably be enough for normal conditions but potentially insufficient during extreme conditions i assume this means heat waves where people are running their air conditioners more and and circumstances like that. So 
Uh, the outlook on this is grim. This is not a country that has a shortage of problems right now. This is not, you know, and they're like, oh, well, you know, maybe people could run on gasoline generators. But obviously with the high cost of gas, that's not going to work particularly well either. Um, you know, you might say, oh, well, we, we need to, you know, build more production or build more uh, transmission lines and kind of find easier ways to kind of lessen the load on any one particular part of the grid. Uh, as we've discussed in past editions of this podcast, when inflation is really high and cost of resources are really high, you can't, you don't build stuff nearly as quickly and nothing we build right now is going to be, you know, done in time by like July 4th or something like that. So we are kind of stuck with it. We've been warning about this for a long time. Uh, everybody's like, oh no, wind and solar, it's going to be great. Well, wind and solar is not generating enough electricity fast enough. We're taking the coal plants off too, too quickly. We haven't built a nuclear plant in this country forever. Uh, all of this is adding up to severe problems, and we're going to start seeing the lights blinking on and off uh, this summer because of heat waves and because of the usual stuff. Um, extraordinarily frustrating, and as if as if we didn't have enough problems in this country, the lights will be flickering over. You know, based on this report, a good chunk of the western part of the country. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable that you would take these things offline when you know, uh, despite what you want to happen down the road, it can't meet the demand now. It's just unbelievable how dense these people are when it comes to our energy policy. Just, just terrible. All right. I'll tell you something that's way better than that, though. The phenomenal deal you can get right now on my slippers from my pillow. I have told you this many times. As much as I love the sheets, and I do, I sleep on the MyPillow sheets as more, way more than any other set of sheets. I use the towels more than any other set of towels. The slippers are my favorite product from MyPillow. And right now they've got a phenomenal deal. You can save $90 on the My Slippers. They're regularly $139.98, but right now they've got a blowout sale going, and that blowout price is just $49.98 with our promo code Martini. Dear listeners, these are not just any slippers. The My Slippers took two years to develop with an exclusive four-tier cushioning system. They've got the My Pillow patented fill. They've got the Comfort Memory Foam, which helps prevent fatigue. They've got the patented Impact Gel, and they've got the Indoor-Outdoor Sole, which you can wear indoors, outdoors, wherever you want, all day long. They're made with quality leather suede. They're available in a variety of styles, colors, and sizes. They're machine washable. And yes, they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. Don't miss this deal. Go to MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104 for the My Slippers at only $49.95. While you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the buy one, get one free extravaganza on bed sheets, MyPillows, and more. Visit MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104 today for the most comfortable slippers you will ever own and get Mike's book for free. MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And uh, President Biden uh, is on his trip to Asia. He's uh, made a few different stops over there, as is usually the case. Uh, he was at a news conference in Tokyo today, and the issue came up in the Q&A about Taiwan and the level of commitment the United States has to defending Taiwan. Here's how the reporter phrased the question and Biden's very succinct answer. You didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are? 
That's the commitment we made. So if you were to listen to that, Jim, you would think that he was committing to defend Taiwan militarily, since that was the exact question. Well, the White House is now backing off of that. The statement saying, as the president said, our policy has not changed. He reiterated our one-China policy and our commitment to peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. He also reiterated our commitment under the Taiwan Relations Act to provide Taiwan with the military means to defend itself, which is much closer, obviously, to the Ukraine policy than anything different, which is specifically what the question was uh, posed in, in that press conference. So, Jim, this is one of those situations where I think a lot of folks on the right would generally agree with the president, although it all depends on what that would look like in terms of a military uh, response to a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. But yet again, the big story here is that Biden doesn't seem to agree with Biden administration policy. Actually, you saw a little bit of this in the last administration, too, that what the president said and what the administration policy was were sometimes only distant cousins. Um, <laughs> I would like to say I, I think it's safe to say and I, I didn't want to give Biden quite so much grief about this when he said it, because I think for a long time, everyone has known that if China invaded Taiwan, the U.S. would respond in some way. We just didn't know exactly how, whether it would be something akin to what we're doing in Ukraine and some sort of effort to get weapons to the Taiwanese so they could defend themselves, whether we would station an aircraft carrier in the region. Many times we've had aircraft carriers in the South China Sea kind of hanging around Taiwan as a deterrent effect if China ever decided to get frisky and decide to invade. And I, so I, you, I can see the argument, this is not really a outright contradiction of past policy. Although the one China policy, which I think has been outdated for a while now, was that yes, we, the US do recognize that there is a China, but we're not gonna say which one is which between China and Taiwan, which has always struck me as a, an odd perspective of, of kind of sidestepping the issue of whether Taiwan was an independent country or not. And there is a case to be made for strategic ambiguity and leaving the enemy guessing as to how exactly you would respond to a particular provocation. But I don't think this is particularly a good one. And, you know, this is those rare times where, you know, the, the president seeming pretty lucid is very clear, very direct and is, you know, it's giving a straight answer. The problem is, is that the entire rest of the Biden administration tends to act like, oh, grandpa forgot to take his pills again. Uh, kind of giving the suggestion that, no, we should not really take this seriously. And after, for God's sake, this guy cannot remain in office regarding to Putin um, or the, well, if it's a minor incursion, that'd be different comment. Unfortunately, when Biden goes off script, he tends to create his own policies. He tends to create policies that are not the official policy of the administration that they agreed in, presumably in some cabinet meeting or something like that. So once again, we have the, you know, Jen Psaki style clean up on aisle six, running out and assisting. The president did not say everything we just heard him say and or the president did not mean to say what we just heard him say, uh, which I think is unsurprising for an administration that does not want a conflict with China on top of all the other problems they're dealing with. But at the same time, it is frust you know, frustrating for those of us. For us, this is one of the rare times we actually agree with Biden coupled with this sense that this continuing message to the world, the president is a senile old man. He says a lot of stuff. It doesn't always represent U.S. policy. Don't take, you know, you know the, the argument of, of uh, President Trump, take him seriously, but not literally. Greg, apparently we're not supposed to take Biden seriously or literally, according to his own staff. <laughs> we're in the very best of hands. The very yeah. best of hands. Jim, quite a start to the week. Let's see what craziness the news cycle throws at us tomorrow. Talk to you then.
All right. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, uh, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already, and tell your friends about us as well. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. We always appreciate those, and they're a big help to us. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday, and please join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. The Disinformation Governance Board is paused after Americans overwhelmingly rejected it. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll also speak with rancher Wayne King about how the border has turned into a complete disaster since the Biden administration took office. I'll also respond to the latest insanity from abortion activists and share the powerful pro-life message from my friend, Congressman Burgess Owens. Join me. Follow The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.